Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four. Wait, that's 40 or 41? That's episode 40, right? Wait, what number are we on? I don't know. I got a message. I closed Facebook on my laptop. Whoopsie daisies, my bad. My bad, y'all. Unprofessional podcaster here. <laughs> everyone and welcome to bookish babbles the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them i'm your host allison and without further ado let's get started everyone and welcome to episode 41 of bookish babbles woo <laughs> today we're talking about chapters 13 to 15 of mockingjay by suzanne collins i need time to slow down or something because we are racing toward the end and i'm not ready for that i'm not ready for the emotional damage i'm, a, I'm sorry to everyone listening for it um uh, but uh, so i mentioned la- i think i mentioned last week um I was reading A Man Called Ove, and I finished reading it, and I saw the movie with Sarah. It was so good. I cried. I loved it. Also, I have a few critiques, but whatever. We don't have to get into that right now. It was really good. And also, a reminder that I did guest star on those forking fangirls, which is so freaking exciting. Um, That episode is up on YouTube and pretty much anywhere uh you can listen to your podcast again it's called those forking fangirls i'll actually link to the episode on youtube in the show notes you can see my ugly face (laughs) on screen for the first time because even though i do upload my episodes to youtube they're never in video format i i'm too lazy to put in the effort to make myself look good for the camera as you will clearly see if you watch those forking fangirls (laughs) but anyway but it was it was really fun to to record that and it was really amazing to meet uh christine and natasha they're both wonderful you should obviously follow them you should also read christine's uh books um because she she's a writer and she's an author and i enjoy and i enjoy her stuff they're fun they're fun they're fun good time rom-commy type books i i'm I'm doing a great job selling selling the book i can already tell (laughs) anyway um don't mind me i'm just in my usual chaos mode while recording and also sorry to christine and natasha who had to deal with me in chaos mode for the episode hope i made it fun but anyway um speaking of youtube another thing i decided to do is i randomly at the last minute just one day recorded myself just on my phone in my car just singing the hanging tree and then filmed a bunch of trees in my town and decided to somehow make a music video out of that so uh that's on youtube if you want to see it uh the best part in that video is a bird and that's all i'll say on that matter so yeah i'll link my cover of the hanging tree that i made below below yep it's below on youtube show notes for podcasts i don't know what i'm saying anymore guys i lost i I just have I have a lot I just have a lot going on. Of course, I have work tomorrow. I'm still ad- I'm still adjusting to my new work schedule. Cause back when I was working, um, for 
they're like the sales outreach department at work. Um, for those who don't know, I work for a solar company. Um, I my work weeks were Tuesday to Saturday, and I did that for like four and a half months or whatever. And now I got switched over to be project concierge working in the office. So now I work the standard Monday to Friday, like nine to five schedule. Well, technically 830 to five because I have to be in the office at 830, which is the hardest part. And also now adjusting to the fact that I no longer have Mondays off. I'm like, oh, shit, because in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I have tomorrow off. No, I don't. You you, you dummy. (laughs) So, yeah, that's that's been interesting. I'm trying to adjust to what most people do now again whoops but it's also nice because my friend sam uh she also has a different work schedule where she works sundays to thursdays so before when i was working in the other department we never had any like common days off basically now we at least have saturdays in common off all the time so woohoo and thankfully my benefits transferred over to this department those didn't restart so yay i can build up more paid time off oh speaking of that i need to buy my bus ticket for new york because i'm seeing fan of the opera in new york um in a couple weeks before they close uh yeah what's today today's the 22nd of january yeah so i'm seeing it february 8th i'm just randomly took that day off from work oh yeah a little uh life update for you guys that no one asked for but It'll be good for me in the future, I think, if I ever listen back on episodes. I can be like, oh yeah, that's what I was doing when I was recording this episode. Still sound chaotic as ever. And my hair is also a mess, but that's okay. That's why I do. I just do my podcast for audio. So that way you don't have to see what a mess I am physically. <laughs> anyway, uh, I should dive into the content. Um, What am I reading right now? So I did mention I finished reading A Man Called Ove. Oh, I'm currently reading... Um. What Lies in the Woods by... What's her name? Uh, I'm staring at the dust jacket from a distance. I can't read her name. It's fine. I'm too lazy to get up. But it's really good. Um, I'm supposed to be reading a different book for my book club. But I'm aggressively not in the mood for the book. So I think I'm just going to show up at book club and be like, Hey guys, what happened in the book? I, I, I don't care or no. <laughs> I didn't read the book, guys. Because I'm just aggressively not in the mood for this book. And... I don't want to force myself too hard to read it if I don't have to. Um, okay. So yeah, let's just dive into Mockingjay. So uh, last time when we were talking about the other three previous chapters, um, 13 survives a bomb attack. Katniss figures out how Snow is using PETA against her. And she can no longer function as the Mockingjay with this knowledge. Um, 13 rescues PETA, Annie, and Joanna from the Capitol. And then it ends with Peta attacking Katniss. But yay! So uh, this week uh, we learn more about Peta's mental state and you know what hijacking is exactly. Uh, Katniss goes to District Two to help with the fight, and and uh, Gail comes with a deadly plan to win the district. Yay! And he'll set off about a million red red flags in this episode. So with that being said, let's dive into Chapter Thirteen. Okay, so we do have a brief time jump from where we left off, which I'm glad that the book doesn't make us experience a hijacked PETA trying to choke the life out of Katniss in real time, like the movie does. Um, I've been known to look away from the screen at that part in the movie because it's hard to watch. So anyway, uh, Katniss is currently in the hospital and has to wear some kind of neck 
brace thing since uh, her throat is obviously bruised from being strangled. Uh, the good news is she'll get her voice back. The bad news, uh, she's naturally going a little bit crazy right now, as anyone would if the love of your life, you know, suddenly tried to kill you. Uh, she's also not allowed to talk at the moment. Uh, can't even thank uh, Boggs, who was the one that got Peta off her. And good thing he was nearby, since uh, both Katniss and Hamish had been horribly caught off guard, which is pretty rare. Two victors being caught off guard at the same time. You know, don't see that every day. Um, Prim is also there for Katniss. Uh, apparently their mother is in the middle of assisting with a complicated surgery and hasn't yet been informed about PETA's attack on Katniss, which just really drives home what Mrs. Everdeen said earlier in the book about how no one ever runs anything by her. Uh, like... Is there seriously not anyone else in the hospital who can take her place in the surgery? Like, I know Mrs. Everdeen isn't mother of the year, but I think she'd want to see her daughter after being attacked like that, you know, as soon as possible. Um, Not sure if this should count as a District 13 red flag, but uh, I'm counting it anyway. It's fine. Um, Well, at least then, you know, Katniss gets to take the neck brace off, so... That's good, because um, it sounds uncomfortable to wear. Anyway, so uh, Plutarch, Hamish, and Beatty uh, come in. They had been in the hallway waiting for doctors to let them in. Gail's notably not there. I know it's I know it's probably because no one's told them yet, but still. Actually, wasn't he in the hospital, like, not too far away when she was attacked? Because Candace walked by him on her way to see PETA. He was busy getting stitched up. How could he not know? I feel like so. I feel like something like that, you know, Peta attacking Katniss, the Mockingjay. That kind of news would spread like wildfire. Okay, I'm good. That that's a ding on the Gale red flag counter. What the fuck? <sighs> Although Prim does get a pretty uh good moment here. Um, Plutarch tries to tell her to go, but she insists on staying. Even threatens to go straight to her mother while she's still working on the surgery. And Prim says, and I quote, um, that her mother doesn't think much of a game maker calling the shots on Katniss's life, especially when you've taken such poor care of her. Applause. <laughs> and Plutarch also has the audacity to look offended. Um, luckily listens to Hamish when he tells him to, you know, just let it go. Um, Hamish is also low-key so proud of Prim and probably would have eventually adopted her the way he adopted Peta and Katniss had things, you know, worked out differently in the end. So anyway, um, we get some explanation on hijacking and what exactly they did to Peta. So Beatty's the most knowledgeable because, you know, it's Beatty and it's what he does. Uh, but even he doesn't know all the ins and outs on how hijacking works because I guess the capital is very protective of that knowledge. But basically, it's a very intense uh, fear conditioning uh, using tracker track track tracker 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 take two <laughs> using um tracker jacker venom to do so. You know, the stuff that Katniss got stung with in her first games that knocked her out for a couple days. 
and gave her nightmarish hallucinations, um, even caused her some mental confusion in the aftermath to the point where she wasn't sure if PETA had saved her life when, you know, he ran toward her being like, hey, get the fuck out of here before Cato gets here. And he did. That, that actually happened. We know that now. And to think, that was a result of Katniss being stung only a few times. Like, the Capitol tortures uh, PETA using the venom who knows how many times. Like, I, I, I can only imagine how insanely confusing reality is for him right now. So, they're, they're pretty sure that when they infused uh, PETA with the venom and made him very afraid, they used it to alter his memories of Katniss, make her seem life-threatening um you know hence why he tried to kill her um then prim asks if there's any way they can reverse it um but there's no record on that of course um but plutarch uh is remains optimistic because that's what he does apparently i don't know why but i feel a bit more annoyed with plutarch in the book than i did when watching the movie I don't know, maybe because we're experiencing these things filtered through Katniss's eyes, or maybe it's entirely because of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, it's another Effie Trinket case where the movie and the actor make me like the character way more than the book ever did. Anyway, so Hamish isn't as optimistic. Um, he thinks Peter will get better, but won't be the same. And if that isn't the definition of living with PTSD, I don't know what is. I also think it's harder for Hamish and Katniss to be optimistic. Uh, well, one, because of just who they are as people, and because they love PETA. The more they let themselves hope, the worse it will be for them if it all goes horribly wrong. So it's, it's a defense mechanism for them, I think, in this moment. And the most positive thing that Plutarch can say in the moment is that, hey, at least PETA's alive, so we've achieved the bare minimum. Woohoo. And Plutarch then manages to bring the mood down even more when he tells us that Portia and Peta's prep team had been executed on live television, which is just so fucked up. Like, because Portia never did anything wrong. Like, I can't even explain why this one bothers me so much. Because, I mean, the Capitol already does horrible, horrible shit. But something about Peta's prep team and Portia getting executed. I don't know, maybe because it feels like it goes against everything that's been established. I don't know. But they 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 didn't know anything. Um like Portia never did anything wrong. I doubt she or the team knew any rebel secrets. I I I can't see Cinna risking them like that, but they still end up dead. Fuck no. Um also, this information causes Katniss to spiral and feel overwhelmingly guilty and start having a panic and she starts having a panic attack so bad that they have to sedate her. So maybe that wasn't the best time to tell her the news, Plutarch. Don't you worry. Um so Katniss spends the next uh three days in the hospital not wanting to say or do anything, which turns her into a model patient since she's not allowed to speak at all during that time. And being left with nothing but her thoughts, uh, Katniss's desire to kill Snow only grows stronger. Um, we're also given updates on Peta's condition. 
the high levels of tracker jacker venom are getting out of his system so yay improvement um there's a whole medical team working on his recovery also i may also i may have jumped the gun insulting gail earlier but whatever i'm not taking it out of the episode apparently the actual reason that he hasn't visited katniss in the hospital yet since um the attack was because he just wasn't allowed to visit her because he is also in the hospital confined to bed with a shoulder wound i'm still not taking the ding off the gale red flag counter he could demand to have his bed rolled into her room he wouldn't leave bed though to his credit he does sneak in on the third night but it's still too long if you ask me um he doesn't say anything to her then again what can you say to her in this situation he just touches her bruises and kisses her on the forehead whatever um the next morning uh Katniss uh, is discharged and given instructions to move quietly and speak only when necessary. She isn't even given a schedule. She's just left to wander around until Prim gets off her shift at, shift at the hospital and shows Katniss to their new compartment. The, Ever- the Everdeans really do move a lot. <clears throat> uh, Buttercup isn't happy about the move since he can no longer go outside since they don't have a window anymore. And he now has a litter box out of the bathroom sink. And he continues being petty toward Katniss and is trying to steal Prim's attention by planting himself on Katniss's pillow. Doesn't exactly work. Uh, Prim reassures Katniss uh, by telling her that, you know, she's sure that the PETA who still loves Katniss is in there somewhere. And there's this really sweet passage on page uh, 184. Uh, I look at my little sister and think how she has inherited the best qualities of our family, has to offer. My mother's healing hands, my father's level head, and my fight. There's something else there as well, something entirely her own. An ability ability to look into the confusing mess of life and see things for what they are. Is it possible she could be right, that Peta could return to me? This just makes what happened to Prim at the end of the book even sadder. God damn it, Suzanne. You really are buttering us up for the tragedy. Uh-huh, I see what you're doing. Because um, Prim is just beginning to come into her own. Like, she's not the person we met back in book one. Then again, no one is. But she's getting more emotionally mature here. And she she can be there for Katniss more. And she And she has potential to become a freaking doctor. Fuck you, coin. Anyway. So Prim has to head back to the hospital, leaving Katniss and Buttercup alone, and that lasts about 30 seconds before Katniss uh, leaves the room, wanders, gets lost a couple times. Uh, Eventually, she finds her way down to special defenses, and Gail's there with Beatty, and they're completely immersed in whatever idea they're working on. She's not too surprised to see them down there because she assumes that the two of them are down there designing weapons like guns and, you know, fancy bows and arrows. But no, it's so much worse. Um, They're taking Gale's uh, traps that he uses for hunting animals and adapting them to work on humans and, you know. And right there, big, big red flag for me. Warning, warning. Um... Someone schmister will will end up dead because of this brainstorming spoiler. Um, you know, if, 
I don't know, if Gale had been born in the capital, he would have made a good game maker. Just something to think about. Um, so, some, some, so there are de- ideas involving things like, you know, booby-trapping an area with supplies like food and water, driving uh, people into an area where a bigger trap is waiting, um, harming offspring so you can lure the parents who are the actual target, you know, fun stuff like that. And most fun trap of all, using people's compassion against them. Uh, you know, the two, a, a bomb that goes off twice, you know, once where it's enough to cause damage and people come running over to help and then a bigger, more deadly bomb goes off. You know, totally not foreshadowing anything that'll happen at the end of this book. Fuck you, Gail. And what do you know? And what do you know? Just like that, on page 186, it's time for a reading because Cadence and Gail have so many fun conversations in this book, I'm realizing. Ugh. Okay, so like I said, page 186, it starts with Katniss saying, That seems to be crossing some kind of line, I say. So anything goes? They both stare at me. Beauty with doubt, Gail with hostility. I guess there isn't a rule book for what might be unacceptable to do to another human being. Sure there is. Beauty and I have been following the same rule book President Snow used when he hijacked PETA, says Gail. Cruel, but to the point. I'll leave without further comment. I feel... I feel if I don't get outside immediately, I'll just go ballistic. So, yeah. Another ding on the Gale red flag counter. And is it just me or or are Katniss and Gale, like, they, they really are the definition of, you know, same trauma, different responses. Then Katniss went through, went on to go through an even worse trauma and still has a better response than Gale because... Gale is basically turning into the people that he hates, you know. Cycle of abuse and trauma. Yay! Moving on. Um, so Katniss uh, stormed out of special defense and then Hamish finds her and they go to the hospital where they are trying something new for PETA. Uh, what's the new thing they're trying, you ask? Um, they're going to have someone from home speak to PETA. Someone... Uh, preferably that he knew as a kid, but wouldn't have any association with Katniss. So, you know, he doesn't get triggered and go all cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Did I really just make that joke? I don't care. I'm keeping it in the episode. (laughs) Um, anyway, um, so anyway, yes, finding friends, Peter knew, but this is not a very easy task since most of the people he grew up with are dead because... Because uh, more people from the seam survived than people in the town. And PETA, obviously, you know, being part of the merchant class, he would have hung out with the kids from the town more. Uh, but they do find someone. And that pro- someone is Deli Cartwright. Wonderful, bubbly ray of sunshine that we needed in this book. I love I, I love her. Um, so her family, they ha- owned the uh, shoe shop in town. And her parents didn't survive the bombing. But she did, and I believe we see her brother later on in the book, too. So don't quote me on that. Uh, but Deli definitely survived, obviously, because she's here. Um, but Deli still manages to have a positive attitude, you know, saying stuff like, it's been hard, um, you know, it's been hard when Katniss asks how she's doing out of courtesy. And Deli says, oh, but, you know, everyone in here in 13 is so nice. And according to Katniss, uh, Deli just genuinely likes people. 
all people, uh, you know, must must be nice being mentally stable and having faith in humanity. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Delhi has known Peta their whole lives. They played together as kids and sees him as like a brother figure. So other than the one time in the capital when, you know, Katniss recognized um, Lavinia, the Avox girl and Peta cover for her by claiming that, oh, this girl looks just like Deli Cartwright, um, you know, but other than that, no memories that would trigger memories of Katniss. Oh, and there's also this moment on page 188 that holds no significance, but I want to read it because it's cute and funny. So it's at, like I said, it's at the top of page um, 188, and it's it, Deli saying, um, Katniss was always so amazing. I never dreamed she would notice me, says Deli. The way she could hunt and go to the hob and everything, everyone admired her so. Hamish and I both have to take a hard look at her face to double check if she's joking. To hear Deli describe it, I had next to no friends because I intimidated people by being so exceptional. Not true. I had next to no friends because I wasn't friendly. Leave it to Deli to spin it to spin me into something wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Uh, anyway, so they then head to the observation room to watch the interaction between Peta and Deli, and I'll, I'll just read this this wonderful wonderful moment. So I'll start with um, Deli walking into the room. She says, "Peta, it's Deli from home." Deli. Some of the clouds seem to clear. Deli, it's you. Yes, she says with obvious relief. How do you feel? Awful. Where are we? What happened? Asks Peta. Here we go, says Hamish. I told her, told her to steer clear of any mention of Katniss or the capital, says Plutarch, just to see how much of home she can she could conjure up. Well, we're in District 13. We live here, here now, says Deli. That's what those people have been saying, but... It makes no sense. Why aren't we home? Asked Peta. Deli bites her lip. There was an accident. I miss home badly, too. I was only just thinking about those chalk drawings we used to do on the paving stones. Yours were so wonderful. Remember when you made each one a different animal? Yeah, pigs and cats and things, says Peta. You said about an accident? I can see the sheen of sweat on Deli's face as she tries to work around the question. It, it it was bad. No one could stay, she says haltingly. Hang in there, girl, says Hamish. But I know you're going to like it here, Peta. The people have been really nice to us. There's always food and clean clothes, and school's much more interesting, says Deli. Why hasn't my family come to see me? asks Peta. They can't, Deli's tearing up again. A, a, a lot of people didn't get out at 12, so... We'll, we'll need to make a new life here. I'm sure they could use a good baker. Um, do you remember when your father used to let us make uh, dough girls and boys? There was a fire, Peta says suddenly. Yes, she whispers. Twelve burned down, didn't it? Because of her, says Peta angrily. Because of Katniss, he begins to pull on the restraints. Oh, oh no, Peta, it wasn't her fault, says Deli. Did she tell you that? He hisses at her. Get her out of there, says Plutarch. The door opens immediately, and Deli begins to back toward it slowly. She she didn't have to. I, I was... Deli begins, because she's lying. She's a liar. You can't believe anything she says. She's some kind of mutt the capital created to use against the rest of us, Peta shouts. 
No, no, Peta, she's not, Deli tries again. Don't trust her, Deli, says Peta in a frantic voice. I did, and she tried to kill me. She killed my friends, my family. Don't even go near her, she's a mutt. A hand reaches through the doorway, pulls Deli out as the door swings shut, but Peta keeps yelling, a mutt, she's a stinking mutt. Not only does he hate me and want to kill me, he no longer believes I'm human. It was less painful being strangled. Around me, the recovery team members scribble like crazy, taking down every word. Hamish and Plutarch grab my arms and propel me out of the room. They lean me up against a wall in, a sil- in the silent hallway, but I know Peta continues to scream behind the door and the glass. Prim was wrong. Peta is irretrievable. I can't stay here anymore, I say numbly. If you want me to be the Mockingjay, you'll have to send me away. Where do you want to go? asks Hamish. The capital. It's the only place I can think of where I have a job to do. Can't do it, Plutarch says. Not until all the districts are secure. Good news is, the fighting's almost over in all of them but two. It's a tough nut to crack, though. That's right. First the districts, next the capital. And then, I hunt down snow. Fine, I say. Send me to two. (sighs) So on that happy note, it's break time. We'll unpack all that when we get back. Okay, we are back, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we open this chapter with a description of District 2. It's a pretty large district. Uh, there are several uh, words. Take two. <laughs> so there's a series of villages um, spread out across the mountains, um, each associated with a mine or a quarry, though many are now dedicated to housing and training peacekeepers. Oops. Yeah, so many of um, the areas are now dedicated to housing and training peacekeepers. And at the center is an impenetrable mountain that houses the heart of the capital's military. And it's nicknamed the nut since it's a tough nut to crack. Haha, <laughs> very clever, everyone. Um, then we get some exposition, history of the nut. Uh, basically, it was established after the dark days since uh, they lost 13. Uh, likely one of the primary funder- founders being the Plint. <laughs> I miss the Janus. So, um, you know, 13's having a hard time taking two. Not only is the rocky terrain providing an obstacle, um, it isn't like most of the other districts where, you know, pretty much everyone hates the capital. And they're like, sure, rebellion, why not? Let's go. We got nothing left to lose. Um, but some people in two actually like the capital because this is where um the most amount of brainwashing happens uh to the rest of the districts um chu is is like babied by the capital um evident by the fact that Canis can see a lot of the district chu rebels they look better fed than most of the other populations um we obviously don't know the full ins and outs of life in the district and, you know, how it works. But it does seem like there are more options as, you know, what they can do for their jobs and careers. I mean, at least compared to 12, because in 12, your options, you know, generally are working in the mines or being lucky enough to be born into a family with an established business you can inherit. Um, very few exceptions, like um, I think of the goat man. Or being the mayor, but yeah, not very many other things you can do. Also, it doesn't sound like they get a retirement pension in 12, which is stupid. Um, but anyway, 
In two, um, there are people who end up as quarry and mine workers. Um, some get more higher up jobs in the nut and, you know, they get a better education for it. And others become peacekeepers. And of course, there are the kids who have ambitions to volunteer for the Hunger Games, wanting to win. And, you know, becoming a victor and gaining a life of fame and fortune. And there's a short passage that starts on the bottom of page 193 that I'll read for you guys. Of course, the people of Chu swallowed up the capital's propaganda more easily than the rest of us, embraced their ways. But for all that, at the end of the day, they were still slaves. And and if that was lost on the citizens who became peacekeepers or worked in the nut, it was not lost on the stonecutters who formed the backbone of the resistance here. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter how many privileges you have. If you're living in a country like Pan Am, you are ultimately a slave. Um, I also like these brief details we get of two, because it it manages manages to humanize the people of District Two in a way that they haven't been before. You know, at least in the original trilogy. You know, Ballad is a different story because we get characters like Marcus and Sejanus, but in the original trilogy, since we all get this from Katniss's point of view, um, we get the impression that you know all the people from Two are deeply brainwashed. And they are the capital's lapdogs, but of course it's more complex than that. And there are plenty of people who are rebels committed to the cause, and it's mostly the lower class who rebel. Hmm, interesting how that works. Um, and you know, Sidanus would have been so happy to know that this rebellion was happening, and to know that a good part of the population in his home was fighting back too. And now I'm sad again anyway. <laughs> uh, so by the time Katniss gets there, um, this is what the state of things are like. Um, all the outer villages are under rebel control. Uh, the town's divided. And of course, the nut is untouched. Uh, Katniss spends her time doing what she can to help, you know, visiting the wounded, taping short propos. But she isn't allowed into actual combat, but is allowed into the meetings, something that never happened in 13. In a strange way, it's kind of an improvement from 13, like freer. Like she has less of a schedule, fewer demands, and she gets to consistently be above ground and get some fresh air. Uh, she And she is relocated often for her safety since she's obviously a high-ranking target. What's even better is that Katniss is able to hunt. Um, she still has to, you know, bring guards with her and can't wander far. And, you know, this helps her mental health, but definitely physical as well. You know, she feels, you know, physically stronger. Her mind's a bit clearer. Uh, I mean, the downside to the mental clarity is uh, being able to fully grasp the fucked upness of what Snow did to PETA. Because, you know, while physically they have PETA back, mentally not so much. So, you know... Snow still stole Peta away from her. Yay. I mean, hell, even Boggs admits that um, the rescue mission had been just a little too easy. Oh yeah, by the way, Boggs is in District 2 as well, which is good. Glad there's a responsible adult who's there for Katniss. Um, but yes, Boggs thought that the mission went too well for them. So yeah, clearly Snow wanted them to rescue... PETA and Boggs is even sure that 
even if they didn't make the rescue attempt, Snow would have given PETA back to them anyway, because, you know, molded him to be the perfect weapon to kill Katniss. Why not use it? <laughs> all this shit just makes Katniss fully appreciate the real PETA, which I'm glad because PETA deserves all the love and appreciation. The real PETA, obviously, not the the brainwashed version of him, because yikes. Um, So Katniss... Uh, doesn't ask for any updates on PETA's progress, but Plutarch gives it to her anyway, because he just has to be unbearably positive, I guess. Um, it's not like Deli. I, I like Deli. I like it when she's optimistic. With Plutarch, it's like, ugh, shut up. Uh, some of the upbeat comments are things like, we've almost got him convinced you're not a mutt Katniss, and he was allowed to feed himself pudding today. Now I'm craving pudding. Damn it, Plutarch! Anyway, so moving on, um, not important right now. So Haymitch is much more real with Katniss because, you know, because someone knows to be honest and not bullshit Katniss. Uh, he tells her that, you know, Peta's not much better, but Prim actually does come up with a solution to help Peta that kind of works, which is a sort of reverse hijacking, which is to bring up distorted memories of Katniss and then dose him with a calming drug. And they first tried this using the tape of the two of them in the cave from their first games when Katniss tells the story of getting Prim's goat. And if you consider extreme confusion and improvement over extreme uh, terror, then yes, PETA has improved. Um, though he was, he was so stunned and confused that he lost the ability to speak for several hours. Oops. And when he could speak again, all he asked about was the goat. Uh, so, anyway, speaking of progress, um, very smooth transition, Allison. Um, so the rebels aren't making much progress in two, so they sent a, a group that Hamish calls the Brains to help, which includes Beatty and Gale. Uh, when they get there, Gale finds Katniss at the edge of the village where she's currently staying, and she's plucking a goose that she caught, and without saying anything, you know, sits down and helps. And we also learn that um, whatever Katniss catches while she's hunting, she always gives a portion to whoever's home she's staying at. Since, you know, word's gotten around that having a mockingjay around can be a hazardous to your health. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Just, just ask the citizens of District 8. <laughs> anyway, uh, Gail then mentions that before he left 13, he went to see PETA and that he quote-unquote, thought something selfish, and Katniss is like, oh, that you don't have to be jealous anymore. And Gail's like, no, that I can't, that I can never compete, no matter how much pain I'm in, that you'll never get over him if he doesn't get better, blah, 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 shut up, Gail. No one cares. Fucking Gail, wasting our time with this bullshit. Um, there's more of that said in this conversation, but I don't have the mental stability to think about it anymore because it's just more of gale and his bullshit um so they take the bird to dinner then they kiss and i'll just i'll just read it because it's sad all right so it's on page 198 so despite what i feel for Peta, that this is when i accept deep down that he'll never come back to me or I'll never go back to him. I'll stay in Chew until it falls. Go 
go to the capital and kill Snow, and then die for my troubles, and he'll die insane and hating me. So in the fading light, I shut my eyes and kiss Gale to make up for all the kisses I've withheld, and because it doesn't matter anymore, and because I'm so desperately lonely, I can't stand it. Gale's touch and taste and heat remind me at, at least that my body's still alive, and for the moment, it's a welcome feeling. I empty my mind and let the sensations run through my flesh, happy to lose myself. When Gale pulls away slightly, I move forward to close the gap, but I feel his hand under my chin. Katniss, he says. The instant I open my eyes, the world seems disjointed. This is not our woods or our mountains or our way. My hand automatically goes to the scar on my left temple, which I associate with confusion. Now kiss me. Bewildered, unblinking, I stand there while he leans in and presses his lips to mine briefly. He examines my face closely. What's going on in your head? I don't know, I whisper back. Then it's like kissing someone who's drunk. It doesn't count. So, at least Gail knows not to kiss someone who's drunk. So, woohoo, bare minimum achieves. Good job, Gail. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's sad and depressing. And Katniss, you desperately need therapy. Um, like, like even more than usual. What the fuck? Um, anyway. So, uh, then we learn that Gail has kissed multiple people when they were in school. I'm not dwelling on this too much because I really don't care. Um, and we also learn when Gail, exactly when he started developing quote unquote feelings for Katniss. I say in quotes because, I don't know, if it's born. I don't know. It feels more like entitlement. I I don't know because um so the New Year's um before uh the seventy fourth Hunger Games uh Gail and Katniss of course went to the Hog to celebrate and you know good old Darius I miss Darius um you know made a joke where I think like Katniss gave was like trading him some meat or whatever and he's like one of my kisses is worth all your meat or whatever and he was just teasing. He was just teasing her. He was being he was being Darius, but then Gail had the audacity to be jealous. And that's when he real and that's when he realized he quote unquote liked Katniss like that. Like what? <sighs> he just didn't like the idea of anyone else, you know, having her or whatever. And like this man had the audacity to be mad at Katniss for kissing Peta in the games when it was literally a survival strategy. Like, when he has kissed anything that breeds when they were in school. And to be clear, Gail is very straight. He was only kissing girls. But he is the defini- definition of entitled straight cis man. Possessive much? I'd say this is worth about, you know, at least three dings on the Gail red flag counter. So, Katniss then uh, goes on to say that, you know, Darius was just joking. And Gail has the audacity to be like, oh, well, even if he wasn't, you wouldn't know. Take me and Peter, for example. And okay, I was worried about Finnick for a minute, too. But he's, you know, on the right path again or whatever he says. Like, bro, I know I've ranted about, you know, Gail's unreasonable jealousy with Finnick. But yeah, fuck you, Gail. Stop being possessive. How many people did you kiss again? Yeah, you don't even know. You lost you lost count, didn't you? You know, maybe you should be jealous of Finnick and not in the way you think because Finnick is a much better friend slash older brother figure to Katniss than you will ever be. So yeah, be jealous of that. You know, well, fuck that. Another ding on the Gale red flag counter. Fuck you, Gale. Anyway, I need to move on from this before I get too angry. Where was I? Uh, Okay, so yeah, they go to a meeting to discuss the problem with the nut. 
you know, I'm realizing there's so many inappropriate jokes that could be made. But we're not going to do that. Anyway, so, shit. We're getting another Gil. Major Gil red flag moment. This is truly the chapter where Gail just collects red flags. Might as well add, like, ten more dings to the counter while we're here. <sighs> but on the bright side, we get to meet Lime, another victor, and she's leading um, the rebels in two. And in the movie, she's played by the wonderful Gwendolyn Christie, a.k.a. Brianna freaking Tarth. And fun story, guys. So pause the depressing things happening in the Hunger Game and Gail's bullshit for the moment. So... During the summer of 2019, I did, like, a brief, like, study abroad type program where for, like, two and a half weeks, like, two weeks I was in the classroom at my college just taking a summer course. It was, like, I took a medieval lit course and a Shakespeare course and, you know, got a bunch of extra credits and I was able to graduate early, actually. That was cool. But so then after the classroom portion, the next two and a half weeks we spent in England and it was so freaking cool. On one of the nights we had off, a bunch of us went to see this production of A Midsummer Night's Dream that Gwendolyn Christie was in. I met her. She was playing um Queen Tatiana and they did this really cool thing. So for those of you who know like the um plot of A Midsummer Night's Dream, you know, basically um the fairy king Oberon gets a puck to put flower juice where everyone falls in love with the wrong person but they switched it up so in this show in this production um because Gwendolyn was playing um the fairy queen Tatiana they had her be the one to put the love juice in to order puck to put the love juice in everyone's eye so that was re- so that was a really interesting take and she was she's a gorgeous woman oh my god um and it was in this really cool, like, immersive uh, theater. So, you know, you could pay for a seat, obviously. But then um, you could pay to be in the pit, uh, like how they do it at um, what's called the Globe Theater, where you just stand and the stage is right there. Except it was even more interactive than the Globe. We were basically part of part of the show. It was so cool. And, and like, you know, there's, like, you know, the actors, they move you around and got to interact with all the fairies. Um the like the, you know, the tech people would move us around to you when set pieces had to move so you know no one got run over um at one point um when like the wedding was happening toward the end and like the big platform in the center got raised and we're all standing around it uh Gwendolyn's like wedding dress whacked me in the face but I'm like it's fine this is fine <laughs> at one point she shoved me aside <laughs> and it was fine it was perfectly fine she was more I was more than okay with her shoving me aside like that <laughs> um and then it was so fun at the end. They basically, like, threw a dance party for everyone who was, like, standing in the pit. Like, all the fairies. They basically separated us from our friends. We ended up dancing in this big circle. They were throwing beach balls around. And it was great because while we were all distracted dancing, it gave, like, Gwendolyn and the other lead actors a chance to escape. But it was a really cool production. One of the best theater experiences I have ever had. And Mr. Red's Dream is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. So that made it even better. But anyway, um, back. So yeah, I I I love Gwendolyn Christie, and she also deserved to do more in the Star Wars movies. Hot take: I still love, I still really like the sequel trilogy. <laughs> you you can all explode now. Okay, so where was I? Um. So yeah, anyway, so uh, we meet Lime. So um, Katniss um uh, does remember Lime because you know when she and um Peta were studying for. The quarter quell, they did watch her games, but since winning, she's kept a pretty low profile. And 
Can't help but wonder what the capital did to her after she won, since, you know, no victor is allowed to live peacefully after they win. Like Hamish said in Catching Fire, there are no winners of the Hunger Games, just survivors. So, anyway, Lime gives a presentation of the nut, and everyone starts brainstorming. No one's got anything good, and there are only, like, a couple pages left of the chapter, so I might as well just read the conversation they have in this meeting. So it's on page 201. It starts with uh, Lime saying, The next person who suggests we take the entrances better have a brilliant way to do it because you're going to be the one leading that mission. Gail, who is too restless to sit at the table for more than a few hours, has been alternating between pacing and and sharing my windowsill. Early on, he seemed to accept Lime's assertion that the entrances couldn't be taken and dropped out of the conversation entirely. For the last hour or so, he's sat quietly, his brow knitted in concentration, staring at the nut through the window glass. In the silence that follows, Lime's ultimation, he speaks up. Is it really so necessary that we take the nut, or would it be enough to disable it? That would be a step in the right direction, says Beatty. What do you have in mind? Think of it as a wild dog den, Gail continues. You're not going to fight your way in, so you have two choices. Trap the dogs inside or flush them out. We've tried bombing the entrances, says Lime. They're set too far inside the stone for any real damage to be done. I wasn't thinking of that, says Gale. I was thinking of using the mountain. Beatty rises and joins Gale at the window, peering through the ill-fitting glass. See? Running down the sides. Avalanche path, says Beatty. It'd be tricky. We'd have to design the detonation sequences with great care. And once once it's in motion, we couldn't hope to control it. We don't, we don't need to control it if we give up on the idea we have to possess the nut, says Gale. Only shut it down. So you're suggesting we start avalanches and block the entrances, says Lime? That's it, says Gale. Trap the enemy inside. Cut off from supplies. Make it impossible for them to send out their hovercrafts. While everyone considers the plan, Boggs flips through a stack of blueprints of the nut and frowns. You risk killing everyone inside. Look at the ventilation system. It's a... It's rudimentary at best, nothing like what we have in 13. It depends entirely on pumping in air from the mountainsides. Block those vents and you'll suffocate whoever is trapped. They could still escape through the train tunnel to the square, says Beatty. Not if we blow it up, says Gale. Says Gale. His intent, his full intent becomes clear. Gale has no interest in preserving the lives of those in the nut. No No interest in caging the prey for later use. This is one of his death traps. Oh, fucking Gale. Yep, he really is. He really is a game maker. <laughs> anyway, um, break time so I can... <sighs> we'll deal with this when we get back. Alright, we are back, and I know we just closed off the last chapter with a reading, so naturally I'm going to open with another one, because good shit's being said here. Don't blame me, blame Suzanne. She has the nerve to be a good writer, I'm just a mediocre podcast host. So anyway, yeah, we're going to read. The implication of what Gail is suggesting 
settle quietly around the room. You can see the reaction playing out on people's faces. The expressions of rage range from pleasure to distress, from sorrow to satisfaction. The majority of the workers are citizens from Chu, says Beatty neutrally. So what, says Gail? We'll never be able to trust them again. They should at least have the chance to surrender, says Lime. Well, that's a luxury we weren't given when they fired Bomb 12, but... You're all so much cozier with the capital here, says Gail. By the look on Lime's face, I think she might shoot him, or at least take a swing. She'd probably have the upper hand, too, with all, all her training, but her anger only seems to infuriate him, and he yells, We watched children burn to death, and there was nothing we could do. I have to close my eyes a minute as the image rips through me. It has the desired effect. I want everyone in the mountain dead. I'm about to say so, but then... I'm also a girl from District 12, not President Snow. I can't help it. I can't condemn someone to death to the death he's suggesting. Gail, I say, taking his arm and trying to speak in a reasonable tone. That nuts an old mine. It'd be like causing a massive coal mining accident. Surely the words are enough to make anyone from 12 think twice about the plan. But not so quick as the one that killed our fathers, he retorts. Is that everyone's problem, that our enemies might have a few hours to reflect on the fact that they're dying instead of just being blown to bits? Back in the old days, when we were nothing more than a couple kids hunting outside of 12, Gail said things like this and worse. But then they were just words. Here, put into practice, they become deeds that can never be reversed. You don't know how those District 2 people ended up in the nut, I say. They may have been co coerced. They may have been held against their will. Some are our own spies. Will you kill them too? I would sacrifice a few yes to take the rest of them, he replies. And if I were a spy in there, I'd say, bring on the avalanches. I know he's telling the truth, that Gail would sacrifice his life in this way for, a, for the cause. No one doubts it. Perhaps we'd all do the same if we were the spies given the choice. I guess I would. But it's a cold-hearted decision to make for other people and those who love them. You said we had two choices, Boggs tell him, to trap them in or flush them out. I say we try to avalanche uh, the mountain, but leave the train tunnel alone. People can escape into the square where we'll be waiting for them. Heavily armed, I hope, says Gail. You can be sure they'll be. Heavily armed. We'll take them prisoner, agrees Boggs. Let's bring 13 into the loop now, Beatty suggests. Okay, reading went a little longer than intended, but we're continuing continuing with the Gale red flags. Again, like I said earlier, he's turning into the people that he hated for years. Also, Coin clearly recognizes it and exploits it. We don't outright see it, but we can assume this because earlier in the books we saw him and Coin acting all chummy. Um, Coin recognizes a good soldier when she sees one. And him being the best friend of the Mockingjay, you know, even better for her. Because she knows Katniss is hard to control. So any edge she can get over Katniss, the better. Um, also, just realize something. Um, this is very random. but So you know that scene in uh, the first Captain America movie, you know, before Steve gets um, a super soldier affide? When they're at the training camp and they're, you know, training men with uh, who are potential candidates to be super soldiers. And the main commander, he wants, what's his name, Hogs to be um, 
to be the one because it's like, look, he's strong. He passed every test. He's a good soldier. But Stanley, Tucci's character, I forget the character's name, says like, no, he's a bully. He's a good soldier, but I want a good man. And that good man being Steve Rogers. Yeah, basically what I'm saying, Gail is a good soldier. Pete, a good man. Hope that makes sense. And, or John Walker. Yeah, Gail's John Walker. He... He would be exactly like John Walker if he got the Super Soldier serum. PETA would be like Steve Rogers. But anyway, um, so where was I? Uh, yeah, before, you know, connecting Marvel to the Hunger Games. So, uh, yeah, Gale shows several red flags when explaining his plans. And, you know, I went on the tangent of him and Coin being besties. And the reason I thought this is because, you know, after, right after where I stopped reading, on page 206, um, Beatty's like, okay, let's get in touch with Coin, see what she thinks. And Gail's like, uh, she'll want to block the tunnel. Another ding on the red flag counter for me. Um, for the record, I've completely lost track of the amount of red flags. Not that I really counted anyway. Uh, but, you know, Beatty responds to what Gail says by being like, you know, Beatty had a point in his propos. We don't want to, you know, ki- kill humanity off. It's worth a conversation. So, interesting thing to point out, because, you know, Beatty is helping Gale design these weapons of mass destruction, but he's he's still reasonable, you know, he's not hardcore the way Gale is, just something I thought worth pointing out. Um, but only a, sol- a select few are invited to be part of the conversation with Coin, so Katniss and Gale are kicked out of the room, and Katniss takes Gale hunting so they can blow off some steam. Uh, when they get back, a decision is made. They're going to go on with the avalanche thing. Uh, Katniss is geared up in her Mockingjay suit with her bow and arrows. And she's, you know, wearing an earpiece. So she'll be able to talk to Hamish back in 13. And Gail's plan goes well. Uh, The avalanche is is a success. Yay. Everyone's like, woohoo, we did it, guys. We'll get control of Chew. Because, you know, the next step is taking the capital. Victory. Yay. But Katniss is kind of (laughs) spiraling. Because, you know, this whole idea understandably triggers memories of her father's death and we get a flashback to the day that that happened. Um, you know, sirens went off during their lunchtime. Uh, Katniss ran to Prim's classroom and got her just like she said she would. Uh, then they joined the rest of the crowd as they all gather at the entrance to the mine because obviously everyone's very anxious to see if their loved one made it. And as more uh, groups are brought up, Katniss keeps not seeing her dad. Also, I feel like pointing out this one line on page 208. We found her mother clutching the rope that had been hastily strung up to keep the crowd back. In retrospect, I guess I should have known there was a problem right then. Because why were we looking for her when the reverse should have been true? <sighs> Poor Katniss and Prim. They, they really lost their one true parent. And... Okay, this isn't to say that Mrs. Everdeen is a horrible, evil person. She's not. Um, Just maybe wasn't the most suited to be a parent because she already had existing mental illness and was obviously traumatized from losing her best friend and, you know, who who knows what else she's been through. Um, So, you know, probably needed a ton of therapy before she could be a good, stable parent. But unfortunately, she didn't have access to anything like that at the time. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Katniss doesn't feel so good right now. Not 
not only, you know, being reminded of the first big traumatic experience of her life, but feeling guilty because now she's on the side causing a mining accident and condemning people to the same fate her father suffered. And since, you know, it's not a guaranteed thing that there'll be survivors, you know, despite the fact that they'll leave the train tunnel open. Um, while waiting in the town square for survivors to show up, uh, Hamish calls Katniss to give her an update on PETA. Um, they showed him the unaired clip of Katniss singing The Hanging Tree, so footage that the Capitol never could have used against PETA for hijacking. And he recognizes the song because um, he remembers hearing um, Mr. Everdeen sing it one day when he came to the bakery when PETA was about six or seven. And remembered uh, listening uh, listening to see if the birds stopped singing, which they did. And they don't believe Katniss had been there that day, but it's the first memory related to her that hasn't triggered a meltdown from him. So, big progress. And also... Don't mind me crying over the fact that it's Katniss's singing voice that truly starts to help Peter come back to his old self. You know, to her, like how he heard her singing when they were kids and then he fell in love. <sighs> I'm okay, okay. Anyway, um, so Gail helps with the fighting since, you know, there are capital soldiers outside the nut that need to be taken care of. And Katniss continues not to do so well. As she puts it on page 211, I don't petition to join the fighters, not that they would let me. I have no stomach for it anyway, no he heat in my blood. I wish PETA was here, the old PETA, because he would be able to articulate why it is so wrong to be exchanging fire when people, any people, are trying to claw their way out of the mountain. Or is my own history making me too sensitive? Aren't we at war? Is it just, isn't this just another way to kill our enemies? I mean... Is blowing the nut considered a war crime? If it's an if it's like an official military base, oh, I don't think so. Unlike you know the hospital and eight, that was a very very serious war crime. But don't quote me on any of this. I'm not an expert by any means. Either way, um, Katniss, you have every right to feel the way you do. Uh, you're hella more compassionate and thoughtful than some other people <clears throat> gail um and it just occurred to me that my two favorite books in the series the hunger games and ballad of songbirds and snakes have the least amount of gail <laughs> funny how that works anyway so sometime after midnight cressida attached a microphone to katniss um she's gonna give some speech to calm everyone down and encourage the capital loyalists to you know stand down fight's not with them yada 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 uh, Hamish will feed her lines to say, which isn't a bad idea because, as we said earlier, the people of Chu are still ultimately oppressed and enslaved by the capital, even if they have more privileges. And just as Katniss um, starts the speech, the train full of survivors is coming. Yay! And, okay, long story short, uh, survivors are wounded, a bit disoriented, rebels telling them to stand down, drop their weapons, all that stuff. Um, Katniss then notices that one young man is staggering with a bloody cloth pressed to his face, so he's clearly not doing well. Uh, he also reminds Katniss a little too much of a burn victim from a mine accident. So naturally, she throws caution to the wind and runs to help him. And then he points a gun at her. And we are almost at the end of the chapter, so you know what that means! 
I know this specific chapter has been, you know, quite, I've been reading a lot from this specific chapter, but it's not my fault. Like I said, take it up with Suzanne Collins. Tell her to be less of a talented writer. If you want me to stop reading, tell tell her to suck more. Oh dear. <laughs> Just kidding. I love your writing, Suzanne. Don't ever change. Okay, so let's see. We're starting on page 215. Okay, so like I said, um, start with the man with the gun where he says, Give me one reason I shouldn't shoot you. The rest of the world recedes. There's only me looking into the wretched eyes of the man from the nut who asks for one reason. Surely I I should be able to come up with thousands, but the words that make it to my lips are, I can't. Logically, the next thing that should happen is the man pulling the trigger, but he's perplexed, trying to make sense of my words. I experience my own confusion as I realize what I've said is entirely true, and the noble impulse that carried me across the square is replaced by despair. I can't. That's the problem, isn't it? I lower my bow. We blew up your mine. You burned my district to the ground. We've got every reason to kill each other. So do it. Make the capital happy. I'm done killing their slaves for them. I drop my bow to the ground and give it a nudge with my boot. It slides across the stone and comes to rest at his knees. I'm not their slave, the man mutters. I am, I say. That's why I killed Cato. And he killed Thresh, and he killed Clove, and she tried to kill me. It just goes around and around. And who wins? Not us. Not the districts. Always the capital. But I'm tired of being a piece in their games. Peta, on the rooftop that night before our first Hunger Games, he understood it all before we'd even set foot in the arena. I hope he's watching now, that he remembers that night as it happened, and maybe forgives me for, forgives me when I die. Keep talking. Tell them about watching the mountain go down, Hamish insists. When I saw that mountain fall tonight, I thought, they'd done it again, got me to kill you, the people in the districts. But why did I do it? District 12 and District 2 have no fight except the one the capital gave us. The young man blinks at me uncomprehendingly. I, I sink on my knees before him, my voice low and urgent. And why are you fighting with the rebels on the rooftops? With Lime, who is your victor? With people who were your neighbors, maybe even your family? I, I don't know, says the man, but he doesn't take his gun off me. I rise and turn slowly in a circle, addressing the machine guns. And you up there, I come from a mining town. Since when do miners condemn other miners to that kind of death and then stand by to kill whoever manages to crawl from the rubble? Who is the enemy, whispers Hamish. These people, I indicate the wounded bodies on the square, are not your enemy. I whip back around to the train station. The rebels are not your enemy. We all have one enemy. And it's the capital. This is our chance to put an end to their power. But we need every district person to do it. The cameras are tight on me as I reach out my hands to the man, to the wounded, to the reluctant rebels across Pan Am. Please join us. The words hang in the air. I look to the screen, hoping to see them recording some wave of of reconciliation going through the crowd. Instead, I watch myself get shot on television. And that's how it ends. We're we're very. This is the second episode in a row where we ended up Katniss getting severely injured or almost killed in some way. 
But yeah. Um, it's also interesting because this scene in the movie, instead of Katniss saying, like, we only have one enemy, the capital, she's saying snow. I know. I'll, I'll probably elaborate more when we're comparing the book to the movie. But, yeah, like I said at the beginning of the episode, um, I'll link, um, the YouTube, to the YouTube channel of those forking fangirls so you can see the episode I guest starred on. I'll also link, what did I say? Uh, yes, I will also link the, um music video that i made for the hanging tree my very subpar music video and all my other usual socials uh next time we're talking about chapters 16 to 18 i believe we get more joanne in those chapters do we get the wedding too we'll find out um but yeah if you're listening on of course you know like subscribe all that good stuff subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you can get updates or you're updated as soon as I post a new episode. Um, all my socials are in the show notes. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcast, um, if you leave a five-star review, I will read it out loud on the show, <laughs> no matter what it says. So do with that information what you will. But thank you all so much for listening. Hope you have a great day slash night, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye!